And now it's time for We Are Just Christians, live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, Good morning. and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We're really glad you tuned into the show today. We appreciate it as we do every week. If you take the time to tune in, hope you can stay with us for the rest of the hour. We're on till 10 o'clock Eastern time here on WPSL. And we'd be glad to talk with you about whatever is on your mind. This is a live call-in show. And I'll give you the numbers in just a second. Uh, Gary, I just, we just mentioned, I just <laughs> was talking to Gary. Uh, we're gonna, we got a text toward the end of the show last week. Couldn't take it. So we're going to deal with that first before we go to the phones. So if you want to call in, if you could hang on for just a couple of minutes or be willing to wait, because I want to deal with this at least a little bit first. But the numbers to reach us here in Port St. Lucie are 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is the basic call-in number. And we'll be glad to talk with you about any spiritual matter that's on your mind. It can be something personal, a question that you got from reading the Bible, a question you've got from living life, something that you've heard on the show, something you've heard in a church, or whatever it may be, something you've seen in the news we don't mind talking about how spiritual things relate to politics or uh, current culture, anything like that. We try to relate everything back to, to the Bible so that we can try to talk about being just a Christian here in the 21st century. That's a big idea. We've talked about what that means before. You can look back at some of the archives of this show on our website, which is wearejustchristians.com. In fact, I think you can go to iTunes Search for We Are Just Christians, and this show will pop up there. You can go back and listen to some of those older shows where we deal with that subject in particular. But we'd be glad to hear from you today, 772-340-1590. If you'd like to reach us by text message, which is how we got this question today, two numbers, my number, Mike's number is 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120. Gary's text number is 772-260-6220. You know, Gary, I, I, we don't always mention it, but not only can you listen live here on, the, on an AM radio in this area, 1590 AM, but you can listen on the Internet wherever you are, even if you live here or anywhere, tell your friends. Go to one way is to go to WPSL.com. WPSL is a radio station. Go, go to their website. There's a Listen Live button there. Click on that, and it'll take you right to the show on Sunday mornings. You can also listen on the TuneIn, the TuneIn radio app on your phone or anywhere else, Alexa devices, Google Chrome. There's several ways you can listen to this show. So anybody in the, in the world really can listen to the show on Sunday mornings. Or if you want to get it as a podcast where you can listen at your convenience, you need to go to wearejustchristians.com or uh, the iTunes store, Apple iTunes, I guess they still call it that, Apple Music Store, and it'll be listed there as a podcast. So anyway, those are a few of the ways you can get a hold of us, and we'll be we'll take your calls here in just a moment. Uh, the text that came in last week was from a listener named Sherry. I think Sherry, what she said, if I, my memory is correct, lives in Georgia. We're really thankful that you tune in. And it's the, the question is... Um, Ironically, one that we've discussed here at this church on an occasion or two, Gary probably remembers some of this. Um, I addressed it in a couple of lessons a while back, but it's from the book of 1 Corinthians, 
and um, it's a big, it's a broad subject, and I, I'm not sure how, I'm not sure the background behind this question. So I, we may answer it in a way that satisfies the texter, or we may not. But here's the question. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, who do you think the natural man and the spiritual man are in the context of the chapter? So 1 Corinthians 2, now, um, the whole background of 1 Corinthians is that these Corinthian Christians have come out of a pagan culture for the most part. There are probably a few that are raised in Judaism, but they come out of a pagan, out of a pagan culture. Chapter six even says, you know, you were this, you were adulterers, fornicators, homosexuals, but you've been washed, you've been cleaned, you know, and all this kind of stuff. So they came out of a very worldly, secular, pagan culture, and now they're Christians. And they were struggling with this. They did not have good wisdom. They didn't know how to make good choices. They were still very worldly in their thinking. That church was eat up with jealousies and all kinds of other problems. They were suing each other. They didn't know how to handle their problem. They had a man among them in chapter 5 who was uh, committing uh, fornication with, it says, his father's wife. And Paul wanted them to take care of that problem because they were openly allowing this and bragging about it. It isn't that those things don't happen in churches, but they were approving of it. Because and that, was and that, and that was, was a problem. prominent member, you know, so they were approving of. So they just didn't know how to 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 make the right decisions as Christians. That's what this book's about. It's a great, very contemporary book, uh, and and uh, I love teaching from the book of First Corinthians. But we deals with this issue of the carnal and the spiritual in this chapter, and we could take a long time to read all of it, but. If you'll notice, beginning in verse 13 of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. So he's saying, we, we being there the apostles, I think, are speaking words that not just coming out of Greek philosophy. You're used to listening to the philosophers and the wise men of Greece not man's wisdom about what the world's like, but we're teaching you spiritual things from the Holy Spirit. Paul's claiming here that the words he's been telling them are words directly from the Holy Spirit, and they should pay attention to these words. And so they're comparing spiritual things with spiritual. He, the spiritual meaning not just something that is a feeling. We've got a complete – that's part of the crux of this yeah, it, it, right. And, and our our misdefinition of spiritual today. And Paul calls it in in the very first verse of chapter two. He says, and I'm I'm gonna leave out part of it because it gets a little bit more. He says, and I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with. And he goes on, but he came to them declaring the testimony of God. He's talking about telling them what God wants them to know. Basically, is what he's talking about. I believe here, Mike. Exactly. And and so it's coming. That's what. So fundamentally, we'll get back to this. Fundamentally, to be spiritual in this chapter, a spiritual man is a man who listens to the words of God as revealed by the apostles, because that's came from the Holy Spirit. Therefore, they are it is they are spiritual words and a spiritual man will listen to those words and act upon that. A natural man will act upon his own wisdom or the wisdom of the world. He'll do what the contemporary culture says or what his own heart says. 
He'll do what Hollywood tells you, follow your heart. I believe if I was going to just summarize it in a few sentences, the natural man is a man who follows his heart, does whatever he thinks he should, wants to do, whatever society is telling him is the right thing at that moment. That's what he'll do. The spiritual man is not a person who lives by their feelings, but it's a person who listens to this, what the spirit of God says. Uh, and that's how I would quickly or briefly summarize the meaning of these two words. And I think the word spiritual is used that way uh, almost uh, quite a bit throughout the New Testament. It is, we use it today to mean spiritual, meaning I get all touchy-feely. That's a spiritual person because they get touchy-feely. And whereas this person's a carnal person because they don't, that isn't how it's being used at all. Now, he talks here about this word spirit. If you well, what, you're ahead, talking, yeah, what, what you're talking about there, Mike, in First Peter 2, in verse 4, he says, coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then Paul says in Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What we do is spiritual sacrifices to God. Right. right. That, right. And that's exactly what you're saying. What we're living. Now, this word natural man is psychikos, which means in the dictionary, part, uh, which is relating to the lower or bestial nature. So it means natural or sensual. What is something that's sensual in the basic meaning of? We used to mean, oh, it's sexual, it's sensual. No, it means something that relates to the five senses. The natural man, the man without God, he lives by his five senses. Touch, taste, feel, smell, whatever they are. You know, He lives by those. So that's how animals live. Animals decide what they're going to do based on the input signals they're getting from their five senses and then their bestial nature acts in a very non-spiritual way, no, no direction from a higher source, acts upon those five senses. This is the message of modern society, that you should be that kind of person. You should act only upon that which you can feel. Now, we can, as humans, we confuse our feelings and emotions with something higher than they are. Our feelings are important. But they don't necessarily rise any higher than the level of animal senses. So to be sensual in the sense that's used here is natural is someone who operates on their senses. And you'll hear people say this, Gary. Well, I don't believe in anything I can't touch, taste, or feel. This is what the atheists and the secular people say. I don't believe anything, and so they don't believe in anything higher than themselves because they can't taste it. And they say, well, if science can't prove it, I don't believe in it. Well, they, therefore, that's a that's truly a natural man in the way that the Bible is using it. And he's saying to these Corinthians, in essence, even though you've been baptized and you are Christian, some of you are acting like you're still this natural man who is acting apart from the revelation of God. He goes on to say, for the natural man, verse 14, does not receive the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Now, that's the reason. Okay, so Christopher Hitchens, and, and I saw a, I saw a uh, interview with Jordan Peterson and Bill Maher the other day. And Bill Maher was just offhandedly saying, well, you know, talking about the Bible, he was saying the Bible is just full of effing stupid stories. 
uh, from ancient times. And he was he made all these comments about how he never could take any of it seriously. It's just and so Jordan Peterson set him straight about it really well. And you can look up the video on YouTube. But that's the natural man. God's word of the Bible is filled with stupid stories, just myths, worthless things, children's stories, and their foolishness to this natural man. That's who runs our culture today, by the way. And he can't know the things of God because they're spiritually discerned. You have to have a mind that is tuned into something higher than just your five senses. To understand the Bible, you have to have a mind that is able to comprehend things that are higher or different than your five senses. So somebody says to me, I only believe in what I can touch, taste, and feel, my five senses. Well, there's no way that they can ever understand the Bible. They're not going to want to, and they can't if they do read it, because it won't it won't uh, be anything meaningful. It doesn't mean that they're born that way and they can't ever do it. It means as long as they're in that state of thinking that they can only. Of course, my point about this would be, Gary, the only really important things that are exist in life are things that you can't perceive with your five senses. The things that trouble people that I meet mostly trouble people are things that are spiritually discerned because they are higher and different than the things perceived by the five senses. And yet modern man thinks he can live without the, those things. But he says he who is spiritual judges all things. By that he means he's able to judge both the physical and the spiritual. Yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. So, and he goes on to talk. So now here's the point. What I've heard in... You talked about that. Basically, Paul pre brought this up before uh, he got to that in verse 14. Back in chapter 2, verse 6, he talks about our, let's start at verse 7, but he says, We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which, hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, the eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Right. Now, there are a couple of ways that this, adding to what you're saying there, there are a couple of ways that I've seen this passage misused in a Christian context. Oh, one of them is that people begin to interpret their own feelings that they get eating breakfast and reading the Bible. They begin to interpret those feelings as being spiritual because they get warm, fuzzy feelings or this or a premonition about something as if, and then they substitute their own feelings or impressions for what the word of God actually says for the text itself. And they will eventually Pentecostals and charismatics and other folks even uh, more evangelical types will often ignore the explicit text of the Bible to live out their feelings that they're getting from premonitions or reading the text. The second way is that, and this may this may be a background of this question. I don't know, but I this has come up here uh, in uh, in some folks who have attended here in the past at this church. The idea that comes from Calvinism that Calvinism says that what that all men are dead in sins, and they are dead because they are totally hereditarily depraved, and, and they literally cannot ever think or do anything that is good. Yeah. So a man who has never been 
had the Holy Spirit fall on him, according to a pure Calvinist, cannot, even if he thinks he can, he cannot ever understand the Bible. He can't ever think anything that's good or do anything that's good. That's good because he's dead spiritually. He's a he's a he's a what this is what they call this natural man. So they substitute that I that deadness for this natural man. And they say the only person that can understand the Bible is one that the Holy Spirit has already fallen upon and given the gift of understanding the Bible. So they would say the only way you can ever learn it is if the teacher who teaches you is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, he has the ability to interpret what the Bible says to give to you. And then you as a natural man can receive it. What they really believe is in most places is that the Holy Spirit has to miraculously operate on your heart by a by a gift, by a miracle, some experience that you have. And once the Holy Spirit opens your heart at that point, that's how they would phrase it, then you can understand the Bible. But until then, you can never pick up the Bible. And they would, I've had them here dispute me about this, that person could never pick up the Bible on their own. Person just born, living their life, can never open the Bible and read it and ever understand anything in it. They can never they can never come to faith in Christ. They can never be saved unless a person who had the Holy Spirit taught them what it says. <laughs> and, of course, that contradicts what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 3, that he wrote these things that whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery, you see. Well, and, that John, and, John, excuse me, and John 20, where he tells people, I wrote these miracles, John says, so that when you read them, you can believe in Christ. And it in a way contradicts the use of the word received and the definition of that word received basically here in verse 14. Now, now here's how here's how I know, Gary, that the word carnal here or the word natural in 1 Corinthians 2 does not mean this definition of a Calvinist who is definition of someone who is dead and can't understand anything. It means more what I said it means, someone who is attempting even as a Christian to live by their own intellect and their own wisdom or the wisdom of the world and not by the revelation of Christ. When you go to chapter 3, verse 1, she, that chapter ends, she, she mentioned verse is 2 through 16. Well, the next yeah. verse, and there's no chapter divisions in the original Greek text, the next verse says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. He calls the Corinthians here carnal. That's the word for fleshly. That's the word for natural. And he says, some of you are carnal. What's he mean? Well, now, here's the problem that this presents to this interpretation is that uh, if, if this word natural man or carnal man refers to someone who is outside of Christ, totally depraved, and that's who the natural man is. And unless the spirit does a miracle, he can't understand the Bible. What does Paul mean by saying that I'm, I have to speak to you Christians as if you were carnal because you are carnal? He calls them carnal. And yet, when you go back and read chapter 1, verse 2 of this whole book. They've been washed. It's, yes, it says to the church of God, which is a Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, and who every place called the name of the Lord. He tells these Corinthians, in spite of their problems, that they have been sanctified and called. And yet he says in chapter 3 that they're carnal. This contradicts the idea 
that either you're in Christ with the Holy Spirit and you're holy, or you're a depraved sinner and can't ever know the truth. You see, it contradicts that dichotomy that Calvinists often make. Well, there, so, there, there's a couple of uses of this word received, too, that indicate one of them. Basically, I would go to John 1, 11 and 12, and he says uh, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. That's the same kind of wording that's used in first in second Corinthians in first right. Corinthians two. He says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. So basically, and it doesn't say they had to receive the Holy Spirit as a miraculous no, gift before it, it, they could it, receive him. Right. They had to use their mind. They had to use something besides their natural mind to listen to the words of God. And the, you can do that. People but that second that second received, he said, but as many as received him, that's defined literally as to get hold of. Mm -hmm. To in, in figuratively it's probably to understand. Right. Or to take something. It's it's an active something that the person has to do himself. And and yet when he uses a little bit different word in 14. He says that one is that one. Basically, he's saying this natural man was offered something. In that word, in the sense that that received is a little bit different word. He says he's offered something that he refused. That natural man was offered the same thing, but he refused it. Now, we can go – this subject could take a long yeah, time. That's pretty – It gets into the nature of man. Man yeah. has a spirit, not just a body. And what the word of God appeals to is that spiritual side of every man who is born into the world has something about the image of God in him. And that image of God part of the man can respond to the word of God at any time. We don't. We often don't. And so most people who live by their natural instincts, the five senses – we're taught that by Disney since we've been children in this country and by every Hollywood movie almost directed at young people to follow your heart and live by your own wits and your own wisdom and ignore true spirituality. And so we don't do it, but we can do it. So and we need to we, we got to we need to uh, summarize this and go on to a phone call, but we can come back to it. Well, but the, the point I was really trying to make here and maybe I didn't make it that clearly is. Basically, if God offers this to everyone, God offers the gospel to everyone. He says that's you can what Calvinists dispute. They say he only offers it to the elect. He offers it to everyone. Right. And this natural man refuses it. The point is, the decision lies with you. The decision does not lie with God. Yes. And that's, that's right. And so the natural man here, the Corinthians, although they were acting like carnal or natural men. They had the ability to listen to God, and Paul's saying that to and them. And make here. a decision about it. You can, and you can even grow from where you are by, by stop, by ceasing to just live by your senses. So they had a lawsuit, a dispute going on, uh, and they lived by their senses. Their, their, their jealousies, their envies, their pride caused them to sue each other and defame each other. And so he's telling, stop living by that. Start listening to what the Spirit says to do as a spiritual man. So it's a big subject today. What's who well, is spiritual? He, he even God? calls them babes in a case, and we expect well, they, they have growth. We, they ex, we expect our children, our, our babies to grow. Right. And so, and, and I can tell you, Mike, in my, in my own life, over a period of time being a Christian, I have learned a lot in from the days that I first began. 
Well, he tells them in, in chapter 3, verse 2, that up until now, you weren't even able to receive the solid food I wanted to give you. You could only take milk because they're still carnal. They can't quite get it. And so we have to uh, be patient with people who are carnal or who are natural in their instincts and teach them the word. And the word has power to sink into hearts, to change people. So now that's how I would define it in its usage. I don't think it means what Calvinists mean. I don't think it means what some of my own brethren say it means about the fact that you can't understand the Bible until the Holy Spirit reveals it to you in some way, uh, in a miraculous way. Uh, you, you have to, uh, of course, the Holy Spirit reveals himself to everybody. The question is, do we hear it? Do we listen? And, uh, he's really and he's revealing himself in the written word. That's how he's revealing himself. Well, um, but he doesn't reveal himself like he did to the apostles in the first century. Miraculous revelation. Yeah, he's revealing himself whenever we read the scriptures here. Yeah. Do we understand it, or are we simply natural? So Paul, that's, Paul, well, Paul that's is. Yeah. I don't believe that. You know? Paul is really saying that when he when he says at the end of verse nine and two, he says the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. He follows that exactly, but God has revealed them to us through His Spirit, and the us there, I believe, is the apostles. Yes, yes, and I think that's right. Well, let's go to the phones for a minute, Gary. We'll come <laughs> back to this a little bit more. It's a wide-ranging subject. Are you still there, Jerry? We put you on hold there. Uh, yes, Mike. Uh, good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for holding on. I appreciate it. With the word secular uh, pertain to what which, uh, the sermon is about today, and if you have time, I was wondering about the, the very thin hardcover book, uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which was given to people uh, when somebody passed. And I was wondering, would that be a secular or political? Uh, uh, yes. Questions, uh, secular and uh, the very thin book, uh, Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which is given to some people uh, when somebody passes. Uh, I'd like to listen to Raphael, Mike, if that's okay. Yeah, it's great, Jerry. Well, boy, Jerry, you're showing your age. When you're mentioned, Jonathan <laughs> Livingston Seagull. <laughs> I read that book a long time ago in the 70s, I think. That tells you. I think that's when it was published. And yes, I, I believe you're correct, Jerry. That is a secular approach to living and dying. There's, nothing, there's very little in that book that I would consider a revelation from God through the scriptures. Therefore, it's not a spiritual book. There is plenty in the Bible to tell me about life and about death and what happens after death and all that that I can rely on to form my understanding or opinions of this life and the afterlife. But Jonathan Livingston Seagull is more of a secular, or I would, if I can conflate the two words secular and pagan, and I know that they're separate words, but if I were to put those together, yes, it is. Uh, a separate, something completely different than biblical revelation. You see, uh, this is this is going to sound crazy, but I'll say it anyway. Uh, it, the Bible is such a target. The devil is so so determined to destroy people's confidence in the Bible that in our time, things that are pagan have come to be considered something that's secular. Now, in definition, something that's secular would be something that would be more 
as First Corinthians 2 is talking about here, natural, depending on the five senses, is more secular. Yeah. Not re- It means not religious. But in order to attack the Bible, Satan is perfectly willing to get people to believe in zodiacs and various gods and various forces, the force be with you and various powers, because that draws people's attention away from the Bible. So therefore, I'm defining that kind of paganism, which is what it is, as secular. Now, a true atheist, if he was consistent, would reject Jonathan Livingston Seagull. He'd reject astrology. He'd reject mythology. He'd reject all those things as having any real value to you because you can't touch, taste, feel them, or prove them in a science experiment. Or you can't prove it with science. You can't prove it with a science, yeah, with a, with a uh, double-blind study or a science experience, experiment. So, uh, but, but what's happened in our day, the word secular has become conflated or confused with the word pagan or pagan and secular because the devil is perfectly content to let you believe in pagan gods and goddesses and mythology and Jonathan Livingston Seagull and that, that whole Hindu thing. He's perfectly willing for you to go that direction. He doesn't care if you really go all the way and become a pure pure atheist. That's fine, but you don't need to. As long as you don't have any confidence in the true word of God, the Bible, he's content with that. You're just as lost. You're just as lost as a Hindu or someone who lives by Jonathan Livingston Seagull or Zodiac signs or or crystals or whatever, or or, uh, now we live by... uh, uh, Smell, what's that, what are they called? Essential oils, and we live by smells. He's perfectly content for you to base your religion on that. You don't have to be an atheist as long as you're not believing in, in the text of the Bible. Does that make any sense? That's what that's what Satan is trying to get you to stop doing, what we're trying to teach you on this show. Look at the text. Change your worldview and your opinion based on that. That's the important thing. So anyway, I think you're right on the money, uh, Jerry, about the idea of secular as opposed to. Um, and there, there's a modern phrase that we like to hear from people who don't necessarily believe. Uh, if you can dream it, you can do it. Uh, if I had to sum up Jonathan Livingston Seagull, that's basically what I would say. That's his attitude. Uh, and he does it through persistence. Yes. Yes. If you can dream it, you can do it. That's a pretty dangerous way to take life. But well, that's the that's the. Uh, um, I had such a strong reaction to Epcot Center when they first opened it many many years ago, long before it was popular now. So that very idea, and the, they had a whole big display in, thing on a song of praise to energy. Yeah, which is pagan and all that stuff. If you can dream it, you can do it. And science is going to save us all and all this stuff. Everybody used to laugh at me and make fun of me because real, real close to Disney's follow your heart. Yes. And so it it all goes it all goes together. And as long as it's not the Bible. uh, They don't care, you you know, as far. And so and that's that's the difference in the two. But what Paul is even more basic. He. He's calling it a natural man. That would include paganism and secularism as opposed to the spiritual man who is a man who is, even if he's a babe in Christ, trying to follow the revelation of the spirit. That's what Paul says 
and then we're going to have to go to another phone call. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, I think it's verse 36, right around there. I don't have it in front of me. He says, if any man thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things that I write to you are the word of God. Okay, so if you if anybody calls himself a spiritual person to you and they're playing tarot cards, that's how they prove they're spiritual or they believe in, in smelling essential oils and getting to heaven or whatever. You know, they're not spiritual. You can test them to see if they're spiritual by saying, do you do you believe the things that Paul wrote are the word of God? And when they say no, you'll know they're not spiritual. And they're almost going to always say no uh, in that case. We need more than just the Bible. The Bible is all nice and good. And Jesus had a lot of nice things to say, but they don't believe it. So anyway. Certainly not God's spirit they're talking about. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Basically, they're talking about any spirit that they think they can touch or hear or look at. But God's spirit is truth. And there is an absolute truth in the world. And he says, uh, Jesus says, thy word is truth. Uh, that's what we got to pay attention to. Yes. Now, by the way, I, I'm not trying to just dump trash on Jonathan Livingston Siegel. You just have to understand what you're reading. You're reading a stylized version of a kind of a Hindu way of thinking and living. And it's it's not necessarily biblical. Not that everything in it is trash or wrong, but you have to you have to understand it in the light of what was going on at that time. And and that was a movement away from Christianity, spurred on by I think somewhat the Beatles and others, uh, to more of a Hindu or um, paganistic pagan approach. And Jonathan Livingston Siegel was part of that. I remember reading Cahil Gibran's The Prophet around that same time because they were pushing. He, he's a Muslim, and they were pushing even Islam at that time. And the spiritual prophet Cahil Gibran, because he was. Because he was an alternative to Christianity. Anything that's an alternative to Christianity is what the world is, is going to push. That's what Satan's after. That's what is, and that's what's going going on now. We have many alternatives. Well, we have another phone call. If you want to take that, Gary, if you want, we want to take it. Is Ken is there? Are you there, Ken? Yeah, Michael. Yeah. Thanks for waiting. I appreciate it. What's okay. on your mind? Uh, I just want, I want to make a comment on your. On your uh, first topic about uh, natural man. Okay. And okay, uh, have you ever been? Corinth was in Greece. Have you ever been to Greece? No, I haven't. I'd like to go someday. I've never been to Greece. If you go to Greece and you look at the souvenirs, the vast majority of the souvenirs. A phallic symbol. And, you know, that's true for a lot of ancient cultures, even in Africa and North America. Yes, there. Because to the natural man, I mean, reproduction is where it's at. And sexuality, male and female sexuality is where it's at because that's the center of life. And so it, the, the may, all, almost all the major gods in Palestine, even even in Palestine, Baal worship, the Bible talks about. All, had, the, all had their sexual components. All, all of fertility cults and had a, a I mean, uh, Asherah and, and following on the pattern of the 
of the Greek goddesses, she was a squat little figure with seven or eight breasts, you know. She wasn't necessarily a sexual image like we think of Marilyn Monroe sexual or something. I know that dates me, but but she was a, a figure of nourishment and reproduction. That's what the female stood for. And the male stood for power and, you know, vitality and, and so forth. And so the phallic symbol is the, the big symbol of male power. And so, yes, it doesn't surprise that the natural man worships those things. Now, I know you want to make probably yeah. make more of a point than that. I'm probably taken away from what you want to say, Ken. But, um, oh, yeah, just that they, they worship God. Just that they what? I'm sorry. They worship God. I can't. We're not picking him up. I'm not getting you right now, Ken. So let me try to turn up my. I said they worship sex. They worship sex. Yes. And, and that's where we're that's where we've been trying to move since the 60s. Maybe we've always been there, a worship of sex in various forms. Humans can't ever strike a biblical balance about sexuality. We either we're taught to date two things. Sex is everything and sex is nothing. That's what we're being taught. Sex is the only thing you should care about and live for. It involves everything. And then also sex is nothing. You can have sex at any time, any place with anybody you want. and It doesn't mean anything. So, you know, two contradictory ideas because that's carnal. Not that sex is bad, but if you begin to worship it, then you put that at the center of everything. And you're going to live by whatever brings you sexual pleasure. And so that's been the story of man down through time. And, um, well, I mean, I, I, it's obviously true. Sex is very essential to the core of what it means to be human. And we see this in the Bible, and there's nothing wrong with that. But when it's pulled out by itself out of its proper place, then it becomes just another idol to worship. And ancient cultures just worshipped these idols. They made images of these sexual ideas and uh, there, there's just a lot of ancient art from all the all these civilizations down through time in in palestine in turkey greece europe wherever you find it even on the cave walls it is very very sexual in fact it doesn't even shown it, it isn't even shown in the books that you grew up taking on western civilization you know in ancient cultures they don't show any of this stuff because it's so graphic that they didn't put it in any textbooks. You have to go to college. Yeah. And, it's on the walls of the pyramids. They just won't sure. show it to you. Yeah, because it does. People don't want to see it, but it's it's everywhere. Uh, in fact, they found uh, phallic symbols that were not only just symbols, but these were being used by people uh, just recently in Palestine, made out of marble and made out of uh, you know granite and things like that. Other and so these are worship symbols. A friend of mine went to uh, visit the uh, the uh, archaeological exposure of uh, Pompeii and uh, Pompeii, and when it was covered with a volcano, and he was amazed actually going there at what he saw in terms of statues and, pitch and pictures because they don't advertise that they want you to come for the archaeological and the. But, There's a good reason, there. in my opinion, that God destroyed Pompeii and Herculaneum. They were among the most debased cities in the ancient world, sexually. And here's the thing. This fits with our original question, the natural man. I think that's probably the point that Ken is making. 
is is that this natural man living by his feelings is going to exalt sexuality because that's the greatest feelings that people have. It's the strongest emotional and physical pull that people have in their lifetimes usually. And so they're going to exalt that and live by that uh, as a goddess or God. We do now in America. We do now. That's why pornography is so popular. It becomes it's just a way that people can live it, by their feelings. Mike, and, it, it's um, basically the dichotomy that's there is God created us the way we are. He created us with those desires. He created us with those desires because he wants the, the species to you know, live and expand something about but, him, his yeah, nature, right? But but he gave us he gave us a limit to it to understand our control, and he wants us to control it. We have to use once again yeah. the revealed word in the mind to control sexuality. God is all, God is all about rational. The word uh, he chose the words rationality to to speak to right. us. He could have chose drama. He could have chose other things. He chose words. And so the old illustration about sexuality is that it's like a fire. Fire is good when it's in the fireplace. You put the fire in the middle of the, the, middle of the house and let it go and just let it burn. Now you've got something that's destructive. Man, modern man takes, now, takes the fire controlled by rationality out of the fireplace, just lets it burn throughout the whole house, his whole existence, and it's destroying it. Ken, what else you want to say about this? Water is the same way. Yeah. Uh, I'll say one more thing about this, and then then I'll want to get on to something else. Okay. Uh, the sex is a gift from God, and we should worship the God, not not the giver of the gift. We should worship the giver of the gift, not the gift. Exactly, and that and that's what. That's what we. That's what man does without God or the, the the revealed word of God. He worships the wrong things. They worship the gold of the temple and not the one who lives in the temple. Um, that kind of thing. Well, he desires. I think he desires. This is my view. I think he desires to find out something about us, in that uh, he gave us that uh, sexuality and desire for those things, and yet when he, when they ask him about a, a woman who had seven husbands who she's married to, he says, what does he say? In heaven, they neither give in marriage nor marry, okay? It's not part of that realm, apparently. So he's finding out something about us by that characteristic. And my personal view is this life is God's way of finding out about each one of us are we what he wants or not? And do we want to be what he wants? That's the question we have to ask. Right. Exactly right. You want to change the subject, Ken? Yeah. Yeah, I want to ask you guys, do you know, do you know what the next piece of the Lord is? It, well, my first gut thing is, is Yom Kippur, but I think it's more Rosh Hashanah. I can't remember which one it is now. I'm ashamed of myself. Which what is it? I'm wrong about both, right? Your 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 own you're kinda right, but also wrong. Yeah, that's the kind of answer that's the kind of response my wife would give me, Ken. You're kinda right. Anyway, go ahead. 
Okay. Is, is that like, like being sort of pregnant? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Okay. If you ask a Jew, the next uh, feast is Rosh Hashanah, or the next, the next Jewish holiday. The reason I say Jewish holiday is because this is not in the Bible as a feast of the Lord. Rosh Hashanah. Okay. I don't know if you knew that or not. Yeah, I think so. Uh, uh, okay. My mind was saying Yom but Kippur when you were talking. As the feast of the Lord is the feast of trumpets. Okay. The next one is oh. Rosh Hashanah is the feast of trumpets, right? Rosh Hashanah is not a feast of the Lord. Not okay. It originated in Babylon during the captivity. As a, as a tradition of the Jews. Uh, it's supposed to be, Rosh means for a head, and Rosh Hashanah means head of the year, where it's supposed to be the first of the year. Okay? But it's in the seventh month. How can it be? Well, two, yeah, there are two new years, right? Yeah. So how is that? Why? Why? On Passover. That's the first month. Anyway, let me let me move on. Um, okay, so the Feast of Trumpets is one of the Feasts of the Lord for appointed times for meetings that the Messiah has to fulfill, just like he fulfilled Passover. And the next one after Passover is Shavuot, or Feast of Weeks, better known as Pentecost. Those feasts have passed, and Jesus fulfilled those feasts. By the way, uh, Feast of Weeks or Passover or Pentecost, not Passover, uh, Shavuot or Pentecost, we receive the Holy Spirit. They also, that was when Moses came down from the mountain with the law. So the same feast, they received the law. And then when Jesus, when Jesus left, he sent the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is the, the next feast is the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, let me tell you about a little bit about Feast of Trumpets. The Feast of Trumpets starts a 10-day period called the Days of Awe, which is a preparing yourself for the Day of Atonement, which is 10 days later. And during that period, period of 10 days, you are supposed to prepare yourself for the Day of Atonement by repenting and, and uh, repenting from your sins. Okay? Mm -hmm. Next picture. I got it. I want to make a comment okay. about that in a second. All right. So, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a scripture in the Bible referencing uh, the Feast of Trumpets. It's 1 Corinthians 15, 
this is one of many scriptures referring to the Feast of Trumpets. Uh, verses 51 and 52. Yes. All right, let me look it up real quick here. Behold, I tell you a mystery, we shall not all sleep. 51 and 52. 1 Corinthians 15, 51? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you had it. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the winking of an eye at the trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will rise incorruptible and we shall be changed. So that's that's the last trump or trumpet right. in this case. That, yeah, that there, there is a last trump in the piece uh, in, in the piece of uh, trumpets. So there's a, there's a trumpet's blast the whole whole 10 days. The last trump is, is the one last long blast. Are there Messianic Jews with an eschatology to describe all these trumpets that precede the last trumpet? I don't know if that well, question makes sense. You Revelation and see that. Okay, so that's what you're seeing in Revelation, the the unfolding of the judgments in that book, right? It has it has seven trumpets in the book of Revelation. Right, right. Okay. And the last one is the last trump. Well, I, be, I believe what you're saying, uh, although there's no direct saying this is that from the prophets, but it obviously fits and makes sense that the Messiah, Jesus, would fulfill all these feasts of the Lord and that's the one that hasn't been fulfilled yet, at least in my view, is this. Yes, this is the next one. And then Trump. after that is atonement. And then no, after well, that, by the next one, you mean, by the next one, you don't mean necessarily next in the year, since this is August. You mean the next one in the sequence historically. Yeah, the next the one. What's that? In September. Yes, so it is the next one in the calendar. Are you saying yeah. it's the next one historically, chronologically, in the big picture that Christ fulfilled, you know, yeah, all these other pieces? The it's something Jesus hasn't fulfilled yet. Right, so it's obviously the future one. Yeah, yeah it's, it's Jesus coming is what it is. Right, and I, I would, and I kind of, you know, that's something... It, it may be something that you said on another show, Ken, but I've come to think that that's exactly correct uh, about the feast of the Lord being fulfilled, as opposed to the feast of the Jews, which there are some. The feast of the Lord in Leviticus 23, I believe it is, and other places, they they had to be fulfilled by the Messiah historically, in a spiritual sense, historical and spiritual sense. And so the second coming if, is one of If you ask a Jew uh, about the Feast of Trumpets, he, uh, the average Jew would not know what you're talking about. Uh-huh. They only know what is Rosh Hashanah. I see. All right. It's the same day. Right. We're talking about the same thing. So it's become to them yeah. a New Year celebration, as it were, not a reminder of the Messiah coming again or the judgment of God. Right. Okay. Right. We'd, we'd much rather have a party than the second coming. <laughs> 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 you know what I'm saying? 
Exactly. That, that makes sense. Yes. Uh, we'd rather have a party and Americans will turn anything into a party if we can. But uh, yeah. it's like we've turned the rainbow into a figure of pride when <laughs> the rainbow is a symbol of Dodge judgment on wicked, prideful men. Uh, so, yeah, we get a little bit backwards uh, and ironically so. Yeah, this is a great uh, point thing to bring up because uh, it does fit in with this idea. And I like what you said about the repentance before the coming of the Feast of Trumpets. So you, I was going to preach on this sometime, Ken. I saw this thing in my head. My wife was laughing at me about it. We're driving around the other day, and I see, well, you see the Grace Place, and then you see the new one. Uh, it's called the place, the Hope Place of Hope or Hope Place. And I, as we drove by this new church down in Stewart, the Hope Place, I said, "Where is the the Repent Place? Where is the church called Repent? The Repent Church, where Americans go to repent instead of just having hope and." feeling God's grace, you know, because repentance is directly mentioned as something that people have to do before they can be saved and receive the grace of God and have hope. But repentance gets left out. And I think is that what you're saying is that would that be fair to say you would make the same point, Ken? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I see another verse here real, real quick here. Uh, Matthew 2431. Uh-huh. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together the elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Yes. Now, learn a fair parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and put it forth leaves, we know that summer is nigh. Now, so they, can, they can look at the signs and see things as being near. Now, here's the thing that uh, interpretively or hermeneutically, and if you want to use a big word, and even I'll use the I used a big word a minute ago, eschato, eschatologically. Eschatos means last in in Greek. So anything es that deals with eschatology is the study of last things. And so I think what you see in the Bible from the Old Testament prophets on is that when God judges a nation or a people. He uses the same kinds of things down through history, whether it's they're Jews or whether they're pagans. And the judgments of God are always a place of not simply passing a judgment, but they are a place of choice. They they are separating the righteous from the wicked. And the purpose that God has in judgment is to punish the wicked and to deliver or separate the righteous out. So even those who would say to you that this passage in Matthew 24 is dealing with the judgment of Jerusalem and not the second coming, I think interpretively you're seeing the same symbols and structure because the destruction of Jerusalem was to those who listened to the prophecy of Christ and saw the signs, Josephus says they were able to escape the destruction that Romans brought on the city. To those who ignored those signs and kept on marrying and giving in marriage and carrying on their life, they were destroyed in the judgment in the city of Jerusalem. 
Well, they, they, I would see them. I would say they were both judgments. They were just different forms of judgment. Well, that's a, they're a judgment, but one one is delivering the righteous and one is punishing the wicked, and they go together in these events. That's what's happening now in in the United States right now. My opinion this is my opinion. We're experienced have been for a while now experiencing the judgment of God, not as the second coming particularly, but as a separation between those who want to be pulled back toward following the word of God and those who want to continue on the path to worshiping the gods of this world. And we're being separated by these events that happen. Things happen. It separates people out. Well, there's a series of what I would call local judgments, and then there's going to be a universal final judgment. Yeah, but what I'm saying doesn't negate the second coming and and the end of time judgment. Some people take the word, this verse in Matthew 24 and, and they interpret it as the end of time um, when, when he gathers his elect from the four corners of the earth, as it were. So, yes, that and that's going to happen at the end of time. Uh, so, yes, these same things going to happen at the end. The question is, does he give us signs of the end of the world as opposed to just a judgment upon a nation or a people? That's another big question that's more difficult to answer. But there are two but, different but kinds of gathering. The only kind of judgment that matters to me is the one that happens in my life that, ha- that affects me in really in reality, and and this is the one that's affecting me in my life. Go ahead, Gary. I, I but but there were there are two different kinds of gathering. In my personal view, this gathering in Matthew 24 is gathering through the Word of God and making people make decisions about what they'll do. The gathering at the end of time, there's going to be no choices about that. That's going to occur regardless of where you well, are. Well, it could be, but the, you yeah. know, the, some people say the events lead up to that. People gather themselves together, as it were, or he's yeah. gathering his elect, as it were. So how that happens, we have no idea how that's going to happen and what, what it's going to look like. But I think the prophetic language is speaking of some kind of a contemporary thing as well as maybe an end of time thing. Ken, you got about a... A, less, a minute left, so wrap this up for us because our time is about gone. Okay, okay. Um, in verse 36 in Matthew 24, it says, But of that day, no man knoweth the hour. They are the hour. Right. <laughs> only the Father. Only the, only, not even Christ. Feast of, feast of Trumpets is the only feast that is on the new moon, beginning of the new moon. And therefore, it's very difficult to about when the moon moon stopped. Yeah, and they had debates about that, yeah. didn't they? Two days to celebrate. Because uh-huh. it's not exact. All the other feasts have a definite date. And yet people people will really just completely, totally misunderstand um, verse 36. Well, our time is gone. I appreciate your call, Ken, very much, and, and Jerry and the texture Sherry and all those who participate in the show. We thank you very much for doing that. We would like to invite you to come and be with us at our worship service, our Bible class. It's at 10 o'clock this morning. We're studying how to study the Bible. 11 o'clock is our worship with preaching and communion at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. We'd love to have you 10, 11, and 730 on Wednesday night. You're not going to be asked for money or embarrassed. Come and be with us and, and see for yourself what's going on here. And then we'd like to have you take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Thanks for listening. Hope you can tune in again next week. 
and may God bless you until then. Thank you very much. You've been listening to We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie, heard every Sunday at nine o'clock.